Hey everyone, welcome back to another week in finance. This is a podcast hosted by Financial Friends where I discuss everything that is interesting and is going on this week in finance. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and hop into it. I want to say thank you for joining me and I hope that you get something out of this. And let's just go ahead and talk about the first story that we have for you this week. That's going to be Mr. Jerome Powell. He has noted that they should have moved earlier, they being the Federal Reserve, um, noting that with everything that is going on, it seems to be kind of uh, slipping away from them. The situation that is with inflation. Inflation is rising at its fastest rate in 40 years. If you're joining me here on the YouTube or the video version, you can see an inflation or CPI data of uh, 7.53% as of January. Um, and it looks like that's the furthest that it's going to go. So uh, things are not looking too hot right now with inflation. It's starting to get out of hand. And the situation that is going on uh, in Ukraine at the moment is not aiding in their ability to make a decision. So you could see here, uh, Mr. Powell has said that they will be skeptical and they will tread lightly. And they're going to make sure that they make the right decisions by taking time. Uh, the Ukraine situation is causing uncertainty in the markets, and there's some things there that can kind of cause deflation. And so they're not necessarily sure that raising rates at the moment is going to be the best move. However, they have signaled and made the decision that there will be one, at least for sure, rate increase of 0.25% later this month, that being in March. So we know that that's coming. We're not sure. There's been some talks of them kind of, boom, going ahead and making that a 0.5% rate increase or that these rate increases might continue, um, you know, 15, 16 in a row back like in 2004, or they might do, you know, one every other or something like that. Um, there's obviously a ton of different talks going on. So that is really the update here. Uh, things not looking super hot and definitely for sure a 0.25% rate increase coming later in March. A reoccurring theme here on This Week in Finance um, is Mr. Warren Buffett making his appearance, this time because of his massive position in Apple. Uh, he states that Apple is one of the four giants that are driving Berkshire, Val Berkshire Hathaway's value. Um, he has $160 billion position or so in Apple. Absolutely just absolutely massive position. You can see here with uh, 907 million shares in the company, um, and he's not purchased any since 2020. However, his ownership stake is increasing due to Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, making sure that shares of Apple stock get bought back by the company. Apple has paid them $785 million um, in annual dividends. Warren Buffett, uh, a lot of articles coming out about him saying that this is his Coca-Cola style investment of this new era, so to speak. It is insane. A 91-year-old gentleman making an investment in a tech company that is you know, mainly invested in by millennials um, and other younger people. You could see here on this chart, back when Warren Buffett first bought Coca-Cola, uh, way back when, it has seen a meteoric rise in price. Um, and Apple, a little bit steeper of an incline there, um, but his purchase just off of a dip, probably sometime there after 2016 or so, 
and just a massive run up since then. I just find this very, very interesting to me how Warren Buffett has continued to make decisions, continued to make the right decisions, and continued to pick winners. Um, Apple, obviously the largest company in the stock market, so kind of an easy choice, um, but not so much back in 2016. So really just another update on Warren Buffett continuing to be successful <laughs> as he always is. Um, and that's really all I have on that one. Think that it's interesting how these times continue to change and he just continues to be successful. All right, next up, um, and we're gonna be touching on this here in the next two. We're not gonna stay on it too, too long, but Google has joined YouTube, which obviously YouTube owns, um, or YouTube is owned by Google, but Google has also, along with Meta and Twitter, restricted different media advertisements in the Russian state. Obviously, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Uh, my heart goes out to anybody who has had any type of impact from this um, on any side. Loss of life is is not something that we want to see in humanity at all. Um, and I know that, at least it seems like, by what the news is putting out, there is a lot of uh, Russian people that do not agree with this and a lot of Russian, even soldiers, who uh, were misguided and misled and were not put in a fair position. So, I just want to say my heart goes out to everybody, but obviously we have these big tech companies and even big finance companies like Visa and MasterCard um, blocking Russians, uh, you know, sanctions against Russia. You have sport or companies like EA Sports removing, you know, teams from it. The IIHF in hockey has since not allowed Belarus and Russia to participate in activity. So um, a lot going on there. I think that I could not go this whole episode without mentioning uh, the situation that is happening in Ukraine. Again, my heart goes out, but it seems like you know, the markets are being driven by Ukraine and the news is being driven by what is happening there, and rightfully so. There's been protests and outcries from you know every corner of the world and a lot of support for Ukraine. Um, and I think that we will continue to see over the next couple of weeks and months, um, potentially, you know, I don't even really know how long, it will continue to be a story and I will continue to make sure that I update um, you know, where the section intercrosses with finance. Uh, that's really my niche. That's kind of what I'm going to stick to. Uh, but again, my heart goes out to everybody who has been affected by this. Going to take a quick break here. Sip of water. I'm going to shout them out every single time. Shout out to Amateur Investing. It is water. It will always be water. All right, Target. This is a big one. There's going to be a video, if you're watching on YouTube, linked somewhere up here. I just dropped a 40, almost 45-minute video discussing Target's plans moving forward in 2022. So if you were looking to get a much more in-depth analysis of everything that is going on with Target, finish this video and then go back to this part. Click that link up above um, or even the link down below in the description. I'll probably have one there and go ahead and check out that. But what is Target doing? Well, they reported yet another good quarter of earnings, a good year of earnings overall. They have had a ton of demand pushed forward from the pandemic and 
are now experiencing a continued increase in that demand as they've attracted new customers. Now, many of these older businesses, businesses that have been around for a very long time, Target has been paying a consecutively increasing dividend for 51 years in a row. That is a very, very long time. And so you would think of them more as a staple company, as a stable company, uh, more of like a, not necessarily a blue chip, but in the realm of those, obviously a dividend king, they're not done. They have made it very clear that they're going to continue to make efforts to grow, capitalizing on the demand, the rise in demand that they are seeing from um, the illness that has been going around. So I think this is very interesting. A company that has proven itself, a company that is stable, and a company that is looking to grow, that's a place where I personally would like to have my money and I have placed a bet on Target. Um, obviously, there are some things going on, some turmoil and some things that potentially could cause um, harm. Obviously, a ton of money that is not necessarily being pumped into the markets anymore. Obviously, there's still a ton of stimulus going around, but not as much stimulus. Inflation is high. The war in Ukraine and supply chains um, definitely causing some, some struggles, and those will continue to be here throughout the year. But Target has done a fantastic job of bringing in big brands, growing its own brands, and is looking to make strides in their delivery and digital services. And we're going to draw some parallels between um, Target and Ford a little bit later on in that regard. So we'll connect the dots at that point. But if you're looking for, again, a more in-depth analysis, video is going to be somewhere up here. So check that out. All right, next story here is um, Johnson & Johnson, a company that I have been talking about and have talked about for a while now. Um, really my bet on the medical field. Um, Johnson & Johnson has a ton of products, is a massive conglomerate, but they have received regulation along with their partner, Legend Biotech, um, for a new cancer therapy. So the U.S. health regulator has approved a therapy that will treat um, white blood cell cancer. The FDA has decided to go ahead and improve it. The company that they are partnering with on this Legend Biotech is a China-focused partner. And so this is a pretty big news here in the United States, allowing a product that was initially tested in China to be approved here in the United States. I think that anything that can be approved that is obviously regulated, checked out, and then approved um, for any type of medical condition is fantastic. And it just proves that, you know, even with the focus and the hyper intensity on the vaccine sales and how the vaccine is going to be successful for both Moderna or for all Moderna, Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson. Um, this just shows that they're obviously not linear and only focused on that. They're continuing to invest and do R&D elsewhere in the medical field. Uh, a point relative to me um, and something that I'm going to be looking at is the news and what is going on with the company the closer that we do get to the split. Obviously, the company is going to be branching out into two separate entities, one that is really focused on pharmaceuticals and another one that is really focused on the consumer side of things. And so it's going to be interesting when those do split, um, either which side I'll keep, if I'll keep both, if I'll make investments in both. That's going to be something that will definitely be talked about um, on Financial Friends, on the Dividend Journey, and potentially here on This Week in Finance as well. So stay tuned for that. That is going to be coming up. I'm not even sure when. I'll have to get some type of time frame for everybody. Um, but it will be interesting to see which business is going to continue to form, obviously the or continue to develop and perform. Obviously, the higher growth of the two is going to be that pharmaceutical branch of the business, but we will see 
uh, which one looks like the better investment in terms of you know profit margins, um, cash flow, and things like that at a later date. Rivian, next up on the list of stocks I should have never bought. Um, I was in an IPO price on Rivian at $78, and they've recently made a big boo-boo. They came out and said, hey, by the way, everybody who ordered cars, yeah, uh, prices are going to go up by 17 and 20%. So 17% on their R1T pickup and 20% on their R1S SUV. That's not good, especially when Rivian comes out afterwards and says, hey, yeah, by the way, uh, we received a lot of cancellations, but we're not going to tell you how many, probably because it was a lot. So they decided to put a Johnson & Johnson Band-Aid on this situation and tell everybody who had ordered the vehicles, hey, if you did place an order, yeah, we're really sorry about that. You can get the car at the price that it was promised to you at before we decided to raise the prices completely out of the blue on you. And so they made amends in regard to that, but I'm sure they lost a lot of customers. People probably pretty upset that um, potentially months or so before they received their vehicle, they were told that it was going to be 20% or a fifth more expensive. Um, imagine purchasing, let's just say, the, the, the vehicles were not this expensive, but a $100,000 vehicle and someone telling you you're going to owe another $20,000 to them. Absolutely not very poor business move. Um, so they did go back and say, hey, by the way, you can get the, you know, get the product at the original time, the original price, if you made that pre-order before March 1st. But I made this purchase. I knew it was going to be risky when I made the purchase of the three shares at $78. I think that as I hold on to this stock, as I dive a little bit further into the automobile sector, and especially in the uh, EV space, it was a mistake. It was a big bet. I don't know too much about the space. I made a little bit of a heart, you know, heart bet because Amazon and Ford were backing them and Ford's a Michigan-based company and, you know, that's where I grew up. That's where I'm from. Rivian is a little bit based here. They also have, you know, locations out in California and such, but I let my heart, you know, pump a little bit too much, brought a little bit too much emotion into it and thought that this could be a fun uh, bet and it was a fun loss of money, at least at this point. I'm going to continue to hold the business for a while and see what happens. Um, I'm not in need of that cash, so we'll just kind of keep it there. But I think that they're making a mistake by trying to push into the luxury market, just like every other EV is. These are premium prices that people are having to pay for these vehicles. And when a lot is unknown, especially with what's going on overseas right now with batteries and where we're going to be getting materials from and the absolute moat and advantage and massive head start that Tesla has in this space. It's very difficult to come out and say, hey, we're going to be a luxury brand when all people are looking for is to explore the space to get into maybe like an entry level vehicle where they can kind of test the waters. And I don't really think anybody has came out yet and said, hey, we're going to make this affordable for you. That's our mission and our goal. So if you know of any companies saying we want to make the most, um, you know, the most inexpensive EV at the highest quality, put that company down in the comments because I have not seen that yet and I would love to see that from some company, but Rivian seems to be uh, diverging from going down that path at all. And I, I was more under the assumption this was going to be an adventure vehicle. That was really their branding and their marketing before. Um, but as I talked with, and shout out if you're listening to Sheen, um, Sheen over on Public, Every company is saying, hey, look, we have this amazing vehicle that we can produce, but we haven't produced any yet. Invest in us. 
and I fell victim to the same thing that so many other people are falling victim to. So um, make your bets. If they're going to be very long-term bets, do your research. Decide where your money is going to be best placed if you decide to place it in this EV market. But just know that there's a lot of speculation going on. The, the market as a whole is very inflated. So just be careful and do your research. So touching on um, electric vehicles, here is Ford coming out and saying why they decided to not spin off the electric vehicle into its own business. We talked about this last week on This Week in Finance, um, and they have came to a final decision that they will not spin off. However, the electric vehicle business will stay under the Ford umbrella, but be completely separate from their ICE or internal combustion engine business. I'm going to refer to the internal combustion engine business as ICE throughout this. If you're viewing on YouTube, you can see the ICE business here. It's just going to be a little easier to say. So know that that is the gas powered vehicles when I am referencing them. So the ICE business, the EV business, and a third business, Ford Pro, will all be separate entities. You could see that here um, in a letter released by Ford. You have Ford Blue, which is going to be the internal combustion engine or ICE vehicles. They're going to attempt to relentlessly attack cost, simplify operation, simplify operations rather, improve quality, and provide world-class hardware engineering and manufacturing capabilities. Pretty much what they have been doing for the um, you know the past however many years, and Ford Model E will accelerate innovation and delivery of breakthrough electric vehicles at scale and develop the software and connected vehicle tech and all services for Ford. And then they're also going to have um, Ford Pro, which will be a third sort of aspect to this business. You could see that here, which is like their uh, their school buses, their Ford Transit, like work vehicles and such. Um, that's more on the pro side of things. All three businesses will have their own profit and losses by 2023. So towards the end of this year, those businesses will all be you know very clearly and um, distinctly separate under the Ford umbrella. But the CEO. Mr. Uh, Farley does say that it, it just makes sense for them to keep all these businesses here. The internal combustion engine business gives them the opportunity to fund the EV business right now. Um, and that's really where I draw those parallels from Target over to Ford and from Ford back to Target. You have Target, a business that has proven a business that has been around for a very long time. And what they're doing is taking that core business, using the cash flow and the profits, and using those profits to fund investments in the digital space, in delivery, um, and in e-commerce. And then you have Ford, on the other hand, taking the ICE business, the core you know, gas-powered uh, vehicle business that they've been in for so long now, using any profits from that, roll that over into the electric vehicle business, an attempt to innovate and create some type of growth for a company that has been stable and been around for a very, very long time. So that kind of wraps up those. I do want to move over to the tech sector and talk about a company that I have talked about a ton here, um, and that's SoFi. You have the CEO, Anthony Noto. He has went ahead and uh, created a podcast. So you can see this is the first episode. Um, it shows I'm in the middle of it. I did go ahead and finish this first episode. Um, it is fantastic. Talks about you know people who choose to dare will be able to win. Basically, if you are taking these risks, you will be able to succeed. 
this really is a all-in-one type of finance podcast here. So we're just going to be discussing everything finance. Um, and this really does have to do with that. I think being able to learn and listen to leaders in the space, people who have been through a lot. Obviously, he has worked for the NFL, Twitter, Goldman Sachs. He was in the mili- or, uh, went to West Point in the military. Um, and now the CEO of one of the largest fintech companies in the world. Very interesting perspective. Speaks with the co-founder and CEO of Plaid in the first episode. And I think for anyone interested in finance or leadership, it's definitely uh, worth the watch. And I would definitely give it a fair shot. So speaking about his company, moving into the results here for Q4 for SoFi. A very, very interesting report here showing a ton of growth. And me as an investor in this business, I know that the company is not going to be profitable. I know that they're looking and investing for growth with Galileo and Technesis. So we'll take a look at this. From Q3 up until Q4, massive gains in members, um, 87% year-over-year growth. You have growth in products up to the, uh, what is that, 5 million or so. You have Galileo accounts continuing to grow. You have the lending and financial services products continuing to grow. Lending products, not so much. Um, You have an 18% year-over-year gain, Um, not a massive quarter-to-quarter gain, and a pretty big quarter-to-quarter gain here in the financial services products um, with a massive 155% year-over-year growth. This is something that I wanted to bring to light, something I wanted to talk about. I did make a post over on public about this chart. This is what I mean when I say that SoFi is going to be a all-in-one investing platform or not investing, rather finance platform. You can see here, this is Q4 of 2020. They had a small amount of total products relative, doubled in about a year in terms of size, but you have their money accounts, their relay accounts, invest accounts, credit cards. Then you have their loan products, which is really going to be their core moneymaker of the business. So they're taking these things that are, and I don't want to call them cheap to run, but they don't necessarily require SoFi to lend money. Okay. You have their, you know, their deposit accounts their net worth tracking service, their investing platform, and their credit cards, and they are taking those and funneling you down in to lending products. Hopping over to Q4 of 2021, so a year later, nearly over doubled in size, and now you have these, every single one is larger. You have more invest accounts, more money accounts, more rely and relay and credit card accounts, and those are funneling in to their the personal loans, student loans, and home loans, which are increasing, okay? So you can see here the financial services to lending products. This is what they are attempting to grow. So they have 3.8 times the amount of uh, financial service products, but they have seen the growth still with um, the loan products. And so by taking all of these people here and funneling them down into where they're gonna make money, they're not only sticking a member or any customer and they're sticking them within the SoFi system. You're returning to your app to continue to check things. Um, but overall, they're providing you everything you might need, right? Deposit accounts, credit cards, debit cards, savings accounts, um, net worth tracking, and loans all under the hood, all in one place. 
This is fantastic, and I will continue to invest in money or money into SoFi and continue to back them as long as they continue to show this growth and innovation. And obviously, I love that the CEO Anthony Noto. I'm listening to his podcast, and I just shared it with all of you. So I think that there is definitely a massive, massive um, growth here to be made, and a lot of profits potentially in the future as this business continues to grow. Now off of this good result, right? Now, they beat in terms of loss. So whatever loss they were expected to have, they didn't lose as much, okay? So obviously still losing money. You had some people, even with this growth, go ahead and downgrade SoFi. So the Bank of America, they went ahead and they downgraded SoFi, moving them from, I think it was a buy rating to something worse, okay? But what they said Back here, which this article is from February 11th, 2020, the same gentleman who just downgraded them, rate them with a buy and a $17 price target. And now, yesterday, March 2nd, they downgraded them. And the price target dropped, I think, to $14. And the reason for that, the reasoning they gave for that, was that SoFi and all of the hype kind of surrounding it, with the bank charter and the Super Bowl has been priced in. And I think that that shouldn't matter to people who are investing in this business long-term. And I kind of wanted to just let you know that if you're looking for long-term growth in companies, and this is not investment advice, not buy, sell, trade, or hold advice, but if you are investing long-term in businesses, looking at what these analysts say is something that you should avoid doing because they are not necessarily you. They're not in your situation. They don't know that you have a 10, 20, 30 year time horizon um, and they are not necessarily creating this advice for the average investor or the retail investor. This is more Wall Street, big corporations, kind of, you know, people analyzing for large firms with a ton of money, right? So you as an individual investor looking long-term don't necessarily take these type of things into consideration. I just wanted to share that because I feel that it's important when you're taking a look at a business that is continuing to grow and is showing good results um, just because some gentleman who, yes, he is, I'm sure very smart, some gentleman from Bank of America says that it's no longer a buy just months after saying it's not just another bank, you do not necessarily know uh, what to expect, what to do, and you may kind of become jaded and, oh gosh, I, you know, I'm not really sure what I should be doing. Stay loyal to what you have said, stay true to your goals and your views, and always make sure to do your own research. So that has been This Week in Finance. We have covered a lot of topics that we have covered previously. Ford, SoFi is back again. Um, but I hope that you enjoyed this week. I hope that you were able to learn something. Again, my hearts go out to everyone in Ukraine and in Russia who has been affected by this. Um, what is happening to the people of Ukraine is absolutely terrible. My hearts are with you. I hope that everything can continue to get better as support from the world um, increases. And I hope that you all have a great day, a great rest of your week, and I will see you right here again next week on This Week in Finance.